0: Hi, I'm Dr. Daniel Bynes. I'm Amanda. I'm Jonathan. And I'm Dr. Katie Elson. And together, we are The The Brain Brain People, People.
1: a group of real practicing mental health professionals.
0: This podcast is a one-stop shop for all your mental health needs.
1: We'll give you the tools to beat depression and anxiety one episode at a time. Are you ready? Let's go.
0: So attachment styles, one of my favorite topics, actually, when I talk about attachment or think about attachment, it's actually been one of the most important things for me to help understand my clients and also even understand myself and my relationships. And uh, I don't know about you, Katie, but it, it really gives me that understanding about like how how can I help somebody? move from maybe a dysfunctional relationship to actually a functional relationship?
1: Oh, definitely. I think it's, if we recognize that we're social beings, right? Connectedness is really the essence to all of our different problems, whether we see it most evidently in relationships or we see it in other aspects of being at work or interacting with a stranger on the street, but really connectedness and attachment is at the core of who we are.
0: Absolutely. And A lot of people might be wondering, okay, attachment, yeah, I'm attached to things or people or whatever, but what are we talking about when we're talking about attachment styles? Uh, What what does that term even mean in psychobabble? (laughs)
1: Yes. I think for a lot of us, it's something that we're more aware of than even maybe five years ago, people are more interested in it. They're reading books about it and there could be a lot of confusion as to the different terms. But I think to simplify a little bit more is just to think about three main attachments and um, secure attachments, the number one. And then two of the insecure might either be anxious attachment or um, avoidant attachment. And we'll talk a little bit more about each. And then the fourth one, which you were talking about earlier, I don't know if you want to mention that one, having a good explanation for people who might be confused as to which one do I actually fit into?
0: Yeah. And that would be really the disorganized attachment style. And, and with the disorganized attachment style, people basically vacillate between what we call that avoidant attachment style and then the anxious or insecure attachment style. Um, You know, one thing when I'm talking with, with some of my patients and also just sharing about attachment style, I think about like, basically we're talking about relationship style, right? Like how we relate to one another. And what's interesting is that we actually grow this understanding subconsciously in our mind about how to act in relationships, right? And how to feel about relationships. And that really is what we call then our relationship paradigm, which another word for that would be attachment style, right? Mm -hmm. And so, Katie, do you have any thoughts about how people actually develop that sort of attachment style or relationship paradigm, if you will?
1: Yeah. So one of the main factors is really childhood experiences, right? Um, Especially attaching to primary caregivers. So I I think about some of the studies that they've done with um, Russian orphans, right, in which Um, Americans were adopting these Russian orphans and they started recognizing a lot of dysfunction in these child's lives. And it came from the lack of attachment that they had with primary caregivers, right? They were left often to cry and cry and cry in their cribs. And so a lack of attachment from primary caregivers can develop into insecure attachments later on. So one of the main factors is really childhood experiences and whether or not we're able to attach to primary caregivers and receive the needs that we, to meet the needs that we have.
0: And that really makes a lot of sense, right? Because when we're first born into the world, what do we know about relationships? Mm-hmm. Nothing, right? Mm-hmm. We know nothing at all about relationships when we're first born. And so how do we learn that? Well, we learn that from those people that are around us, our primary ca- caregivers, For which for most of us would be our mother or father. Sometimes it would be a grandparent. But those people that are around us consistently. Now, one question I have for you too, along those lines is, um, could it be possible? And I'm not trying to confuse things here too much, but could it be possible that you have a different relationship paradigm for, you know, like a different attachment for your mom versus your dad? Or, I mean, how does that work?
1: (laughs) So definitely, I think if you think about just personal experiences, right? You have different relationships and you, and I think that speaks to you get your different needs met from different um, primary caregivers, right? A mother may provide certain emotional nurturing needs that you Mm -hmm. have. A father may provide in different ways. And so it's not that I have to have all my needs met from one person. It's really kind of the the culmination of several people in your lives. But they are, there are typically one or two that are the primary above all.
0: And that makes a lot of sense. And it also makes me think that I think there's an advantage there too, because maybe if one individual doesn't know how to nourish and meet all of your needs, maybe someone else can help make up for that. But I think oftentimes it seems like an attachment problem can develop when there's a certain area of emotional or a relationship need in a person's life that really gets neglected by pretty much all of the primary uh, caregivers. And mm-hmm. uh, what are some of those basic emotional needs that people actually have in relationships uh, growing up as, as children?
1: Mm-hmm. So one of the things that I see most in my clients is the ability to self-soothe. Mm. And that often they struggle with really just a regulating with their emotions, being able to calm themselves down because the need that they had earlier on, for example, to be soothed when they're crying, where they fall, and they they scrape their knee, they have somebody to comfort them, to teach them how to self-soothe. I think that's one of the needs I see most that have been neglected as a child and results and later on difficulties in adulthood.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And it's interesting because if someone learns that they are Soothed from a a caregiver, then it seems like that actually helps them to later on be able to soothe themselves when they are hurt or go through a difficult experience. And one of the other things I've noticed in uh, relationships in, in 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 growing up in in. in in a home and being a child is that it's, it's so important also to be not only soothed, but, but seen, paid attention to. Right. And, and so there's this idea of like, you know, some, some children don't even feel seen and that leads to them not feeling valued. Mm -hmm. And, and really that might be a good segue. Why don't we just jump right into the different types of attachment? So like you already mentioned, Katie, there, there are four main types that the research has really looked at. There's the secure attachment, which would be like a secure relationship style. There's the avoidant type of attachment, there's the anxious or insecure, and then there's the combination of the avoidant and anxious, which is called the disorganized. So let's touch on, 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 on those. Maybe we could touch real quick on the secure, and then we could uh, really dive into the, uh, the second two a little bit more.
1: Yeah, so w- the best way that I have come to learn about these styles is actually through an experiment they did. The strain situation in which the child in a room with their mother... And then a stranger comes in, starts talking with the mother and then distracts the kids a little bit distracted. And then the mother leaves. Hmm. And so you see, okay, what's the child's reaction? Mm -hmm. And then also what's the child's reaction when they come back? And so with secure attached children, they have this good balance between, okay, mom's there. I go out and I explore. I feel confident on my own. But I also touch base with mom, make sure, you know, she's still there because I do have that love and connection with her. Right. So that's how I think about secure attachment. So they
0: can kind of explore from that secure base and they they want mom. They want to be close, but they're also comfortable enough to kind of go go out and explore and go around the corner and look at what's there. But then they go back to see mom. Yeah, That makes a lot of sense. Um, And then and so and with that, of course, the the child is. Essentially, if they're having a need and they're speaking up by crying or whatever they're, they're doing, making their needs known, and the parents are consistently available, responding to the needs appropriately, it you know, doesn't mean that the parent's perfect, but they're, they're consistently emotionally available. And also, of course, for the physical health needs, then the child starts to have, build that sense of security. Is that what I'm understanding? Exactly.
1: And if the parent when the parent leaves and comes back. And let's say the the child is crying because they miss their parent, which is natural and healthy. When the parent actually consoles them, they are able to receive that. Mm, right. Mm, they don't push the parent away, which mm-hmm. is really important later on in adulthood to recognize. Do I have a secure attachment of when I have those needs? I'm being able to receive those needs to be met.
0: Oh, that's re- that's a really interesting point, because, you know, for some of us, when we're hurt and someone tries to console us. We might just be like, oh, leave me alone, right? Because I just want to be by myself because they don't learn that it's okay to be vulnerable. So that brings us to the um, subsequent types of attachment issues that people might develop. So let's touch a little bit on the avoidant type of attachment style. What might that look like and how can that develop?
1: Yeah, so continuing with the theme of these children with their, their mother, Avoidant would be, I don't care that mom is there, she leaves, I don't care that she's back, right? And that can develop often from, well, mother hasn't been there. And so it's a try of a coping mechanism of if she hasn't been there. And so I developed this, I don't care, even though I deeply do care, but it's hurtful to care and mom's not present.
0: Absolutely. So I, I've definitely seen this commonly, with uh, situations, people where they grow up in a home where the parents might be really busy, like working all the time or something like a workaholic parent or parents and the child is making bids for attention. They're saying, Hey, I'm here. I want to play. I want to do this mm-hmm. or that. But the parent is like, sorry, I got to do this. I got to do that. Mm-hmm. After a while, the child just basically kind of gives up. Right. Mm-hmm. And because who like, who likes rejection? Yeah. And I don't like rejection. Nope. And so after a while you just say, you know what, I'm done with this. I'm not, I'm going to just figure life out on, on my own. And I'm going to somehow meet my own emotional needs in some way, even though obviously it's not in the healthiest ways. Yeah.
1: And I've had clients who say, when I ask them about their childhood, they say, oh, my parents were wonderful. Mm -hmm. And your parents could be wonderful, but like you mentioned, it could be stress or other factors that get in the way of connecting the way that they want to. So it doesn't mean that your parents are bad if they weren't able to connect with you. It doesn't mean that you, you know, can't have a secure attachment because of that, but it's just the idea that things can get in the way of the connection that you desire.
0: Yeah. And I really appreciate that because certainly we don't want to paint this picture like, oh, we're just trying to say how bad parents are and and they're the cause of all my problems. You know, there's a lot of people that are great people, but because of life situations or stressors, it can... It gets in the way of, of the parent maybe giving them what they, they want to the child. And maybe they don't know how to give that themselves. Mm-hmm. And and so I think it is important as we think about these whole attachment uh, style situations in our lives that it's not as much an opportunity to say, oh, now I know I can blame my parents for all my relationship problems as an adult. No, it's more about, okay, now we can understand ourselves better exactly. mm-hmm. so that we can not keep repeating the same errors in our adult relationships. Mm -hmm. Right. So speaking of adults, so then when that avoidant, avoidantly attached child grows up. And of course, as, as, as a young person, they've learned then, you know what, I'm not going to get my emotional needs met. I'm I'm just kind of giving up on the idea of intimacy. Right. And they kind of, yeah, they say, I'm not going to try to keep being rejected. What, what can that look like then in adulthood for those avoidantly attached people?
1: Yeah. Either completely avoiding relationships or if they're in a relationship, or even let's say even before a relationship, maybe dating any sign of potential rejection, I don't care. Right. Or I, I withdraw or Mm -hmm. I, you know, end it before they can end it with me.
0: Yeah. And, and, and really, you know, in, with cognitive behavioral therapy, we might really almost call that like, a you know, kind of a a mind reading or a fortune teller error, like where you already have this sense of like, look, they're, they're rejecting me. They're going to reject me. And subconsciously that's the rhetoric that's going through the mind, right? Mm -hmm. Is like this relationship is, is, is not going to, maybe it's going to work on some levels, but I know that I'm not that valuable. Maybe they're saying I am, but the way they're going to act, I know in some, eventually they're going to reject me. And Mm -hmm. because people, really i think rejection of anything is maybe the most difficult thing psychologically for anyone to tolerate like you say preemptively they're going to tend to jump to say you know what forget it i'm an, i'm i'm out of here before you can reject me mm-hmm. right to protect themselves exactly and and so i think you know even when we talk about like recognizing that sort of attachment style and doing something about it it's like if i have those avoidant tendencies it's important to say, you know what, I need to give people a chance, right? Instead of just automatically mind reading and being like, oh, they really don't want to be close to me or they really are, are going to reject me saying, you know what, I need to give them a chance. Maybe this person really is going to be available emotionally to me. Yeah. So why don't we go ahead and move right on into the uh, third attachment style, which is the anxious or insecure attachment style. So what, how might that develop?
1: Yeah, I'd like to think about it as in like this confusion, right, of anxiety is the fear of the unknown. And so a child doesn't know. Sometimes maybe the parent is there for me. Sometimes they're not. And so I'm not quite sure. And so the anxiety is constantly there. And if they leave, maybe they, you know, they come back and um, sometimes they are there for me and they can soothe me and sometimes they can't.
0: Yeah. And that makes a lot of sense because, you know, when you think about the word anxious or insecure, it's like the child never knows quite what to expect. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think a good example of that might be an, an alcoholic parent uh, or a parent with just anger problems. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes uh, the parent might be just totally fine with what the child is doing. And maybe the child is like, you know, throwing their toys on the floor and maybe the parents like, yeah, okay, you know what, let's, let's pick this up and handling it really calmly. But maybe that parent, the next day is hungover, mm-hmm. Right. And now the child, even if they make a little peep or say the wrong thing, the parent is flying off the handle. Right. And the child is like, okay, I don't know <laughs> what parent is going to show up today, what version of mom or dad. And so they always feel like they're walking around on eggshells, like wondering like, okay, is today an okay day mm-hmm. to be like, you know, kind of rambunctious or do I have to be like extra careful today. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's going to drive a lot of anxiety.
1: Yeah. And a lot of confusion later on in life. Yeah. Right? Because then I don't know what to expect from my partners.
0: That's very true. Yeah. And so what can that look like later on in the relationships later on in life then?
1: Yeah. I, I like to think about like the push and pull that happens in relationships of like, okay, I'm, I'm really attached to you and things are going great. And then any sign of potential you know, any potential rejection or fear, I pull back, mm-hmm. right? And so it's constantly vacillating between we're connected, we're not connected, and a lot of confusion.
0: Yeah, yeah. And 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 sometimes in the literature, they even uh, talk about this as an ambivalent sort of attachment style, right? Because people are vacillating back and forth mm-hmm. uh, between that. And, w- and what's interesting too is, you know, with the avoidance, the people there, of course, they tend to like avoid closeness and, and, and relationships. What I've seen uh, both in practice and also in the literature is that uh, the people that have the anxious or insecure attachment style, they actually really think a lot about relationships and they want to, they pursue relationships, but oftentimes they, they not only want to be close, but basically too close. And I think a big part of that is because They, Because they have had that unpredictability in childhood, now as adults, they say, you know what? And of course, this is all on a subconscious level, right? But they say, how can I basically handle this relationship in a way that it's more predictable? Mm -hmm. And so then they try to control. Yeah. We like control. (laughs) Right? Yeah. And, And what's interesting, of course, is that, well... I don't think most of us, I don't know about you, Katie, but I don't like to be controlled, right? (laughs) No. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And so the other person then in the relationship is going to be like, no, don't control me. And they're Mm going to like push back, right?
1: Which is interesting because often we see anxious and avoidant attachments getting together in relationships. Wow. So one's pursuing, the other one's distancing.
0: and. You can see then how that cycle just repeats yes. itself. And basically it confirms the misconceptions we have about relationships and reinforces those things in a major way. <clears throat> and then you can really see how the problems really just continue and are perpetuated. Mm-hmm. The one thing that I do often tell people that are struggling with that anxious uh, insecure attachment style, like where you're preoccupied with like the relationship and you're always wondering like, you know, is that person, um, going to be there or not? And you're, and you're feeling insecure. You got to learn to take a step back and let go of some of that control. It's kind of like a a dance. You know, if if you get too close to somebody in a dance and you move towards them all the time, the only way direction they have is to go back. Right. Exactly.
1: Mm -hmm. And
0: so in that relationship dance, you kind of got to step back so that it gives them room to step towards you. Mm-hmm. So when we're thinking about these different attachment styles, and like we said, we're, we're today we're not going to really delve into the disorganized because really that's just a, a combination of the avoidant and the um, ambivalent or or anxious attachment style. But is there hope? You know, can these, because a lot of people are like, okay, this is my relationship paradigm. I guess I'm just kind of stuck with bad relationships for the rest of my life. Right. Is there hope for change?
1: The example of the dance is one I use a lot with my couples. Uh, It's just this idea. Okay. I've learned to dance this way for so long, but I can learn how to take different steps. Mm. Right. And some people make the argument of maybe you can't change your style completely, but you can start making different steps where you start having a different understanding about people and how they react to you specifically. So if you're anxious, as you mentioned, taking that step back and that allows your partner to take a different step as well. Hmm. And then together you can find a different pattern or flow of the
0: dance. That's really awesome. And and so I'm so happy to hear you talk about that because to me it's so important whenever we talk about these challenges and issues that happen especially if they're deep rooted in childhood to have hope to have of hope course. that things can improve and change and and what's really needed is, is it's not just even in the experience we see in our with our clients but the literature actually really supports that that people can change their attachment style and and and, and some literature they even talk about what what they term the fifth attachment style, which is earned secure mm-hmm. attachment. Yeah. And I love that because mm-hmm. there's a lot to be said for, yeah, you got to work hard for it and you got to earn it, so to speak, but it can change. And one question I would have there is of course, it's that awareness piece, but how, how, how can that really change over time? Do you have any yeah. thoughts on that?
1: Yeah. So one of the things they recommend the most is to find secure attachments mm. and and long lasting attachments. Because if you say, oh, you know, this is a secure attachment and it's a friendship that's very short term. If this attachment that you have has been created over years, it's not going to be something, some change overnight. And mm-hmm. so finding secure attachments that are long lasting, that over time, small steps added up really lead to long-term change. And so really the importance of long-lasting secure attachments.
0: And that makes a lot of sense to me because really if you think about it, if dysfunction occurred in the context of a relationship, then healing also needs to occur in the context of a relationship, right? And so really connecting with people that have a healthy relationship style or a secure attachment and forming those long-term relationships to me, it seems like that is the most direct and helpful way to actually um, develop that secure attachment. And certainly the research also supports that.
1: And I would add to that the importance of connecting with God because. People are people and there's no perfect person. And so often I've seen people trying to find completely perfect relationships and people disappoint them. And then they're thinking, well, is there any hope for relationships? There is one person that is always the same constant. His love doesn't change. And while we attach ourselves to him, who is the ultimate secure attachment, then that can help our own sense of value, identity, love, and connection.
0: That's absolutely correct. Uh, I've seen that frequently in people's lives. I've seen that in my own life, even, you know, as I've gotten closer to God, that that has helped to really address some of my own relationship Insecurities, and you develop as you develop that sense of like, okay, even though there's life is hard, problems come up. There's the opportunity to have that soothing from God and be seen by God, be comforted by Him in in the in the difficult situations. Having those needs supplied, then that security can start to develop and. I think a lot of good can come out not only in our spiritual relationship, but then in our other relationships with other human beings too. Exactly. So anything you want to add as far as experiences you'd, you'd want to share?
1: Well, one experience that I wanted to quickly share is what actually taught me the most about attachment and comes from a personal experience of my father's story. So my father is an orphan and I remember sitting in a graduate level class and learning about attachment and basically the teacher saying once people have these attachments, they can't change. And I thought, well, for my father, he didn't have those attachments at all. Very kind of avoidant attachment style. But when he got When he recognized um, the love of God and he learned about it, there's a verse that says, though a nursing mother may forget her suckling child, I will never forget you, says the Lord. And my father said, once he read that, he recognized, yes, I may not have an attachment with my mother, but with God, I can. And his relationship with God actually taught him about love so that when he became a husband and a father, I would have never expected him to have avoidance avoidant attachment style because he was so loving to us. And I shared this story with my teacher. She's like, I don't believe it (laughs) because a father who's had those experiences should not be that type of father.
0: That is beautiful. And it gives, again, so much hope for healing, regardless of where we've come from. Thank you so much for sharing. So grateful that we got to talk about this uh, topic and there's so much more that we could say. And there's, I'm sure more episodes that we're going to do about attachment because there's so it's so important to understand how we can um, heal from the past, from those wounds that uh, we've all uh, experienced in life. Even if we have secure attachment, there's still oftentimes wounds that need to be addressed. And through that really experience the beauty of what healthy relationships can look like. In, In summary, I just wanted to recap a couple of things we talked about today, which basically We're talking about relationship styles or attachment styles. We talked about how there's secure attachment, there's avoidant, and then there is anxious or insecure. And then there's the combination of those two, which is the disorganized. And the good news here is that attachment styles can change, that we can heal from the past. And the best way to do that is to foster healthy relationships with securely attached individuals, long-term relationships. And it's part of that, fostering that spiritual relationship with God. And if you only take one thing away from today's show, remember this, if mental illness is a whole person problem, then it must have a whole person solution. I'm Dr. Daniel Bynus.
1: I'm Dr. Katie Elson. And you've been listening to
0: The The Brain Brain People People Podcast. Podcast. Thanks for listening. To hear more episodes, find us on social media or support
1: us financially, visit thebrainpeoplepodcast.com.